Welcome to PPLS Perspectives, a podcast bringing students and academics together to explore the research carried out by the University of Edinburgh's School of Philosophy, Psychology and Language Sciences and the impact this work has on society. Hello all, welcome to the pilot episode of the new but old PPLS Perspective podcast. This is the first episode of the rebranded Forward Thinking podcast that hasn't been active for a couple of years now, if any of you remember that. But it's been a long time since, so if, like me, your memory doesn't extend into the BC years, BC, of course, standing for before COVID, or if you're totally new to the podcast, our aim here is to provide audiences with short, informal explanations of the work of our faculty members, why the work is important and the impact that it has. My name is Ellie Palmer, I am a PhD student here at the University of Edinburgh working on a project called Being After Death about the temporal implications of an extended spatial identity in Japanese philosophy. But today's show isn't about me. In fact, we're here with one of my brilliant supervisors, Michael Cholby. Welcome, Michael. How are you doing today? Aside from the glorious Edinburgh weather, I'm I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) That's great to hear. Do you want to start by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and your background? Uh, well, as my uh, uh, accent betokens, I'm from the very far west of Scotland, the United States, in fact. Um, but I uh, studied in the United States, uh, received my PhD uh, just before the turn of the century, uh, worked in the United States for about 20 years at a couple of different academic institutions, and I came here uh, in 2020, uh, just prior to that um, uh, pandemic you mentioned. Um, but I'm an ethicist who works in quite a few different areas. Um, but probably best known for work uh, related to death, dying and mortality. So the theme of today's podcast is to discuss Michael's excellent book, which was released last year, I believe. It's called Grief, A Philosophical Guide. We aim to keep the format of this podcast series consistent between episodes. So being the pilot episode, I'll give you a bit of a rundown of how it's going to look. So I'll be asking Michael five standard questions with some discussion in between each. And the first thing I'll be asking Michael is to provide what we call an elevator pitch. So if you're unfamiliar with that term, it's essentially a brief overview of your work and your arguments that should be concise yet detailed enough to pitch to someone within the amount of time that you would share an elevator with them. So Michael, your book begins by discussing sort of the who, what, when of grief, establishing an account of who we grieve for and the the circumstances in which we grieve. So if you could begin by giving us sort of an elevator pitch of your research and this scope of grief that underlies the rest of the book. Well, I'm a philosophical ethicist. I've written on quite a lot of different topics, but over the past, oh, half decade or so, it's been grief that's been the focus of my research. Um, In large measure, my interest in this is shaped by the fact that uh, grief and bereavement have been uh, studied very extensively by people in psychology and psychiatry. Uh, it's the subject of, you know, an innumerable number of uh, poems, narratives, whatever. And so um, my objective here has been to try to figure out what philosophers can particularly contribute to grieving. Um, but uh, I've been doing this work, for, as I said, for about half a decade, culminating in this book um, that was published about 18 months ago, uh, which I think has had some positive impact and, and gotten people to think that there's a lot more interesting philosophically about grief than kind of it appears at first glance. So just to follow up from that elevator pitch, I'm going to pull a quick quote from the book, which summarises your own account of grief. 
So you say, grief is an emotionally driven process of attention whose object is the relationship transformed by the death of another in whom one has invested one's practical identity. So for listeners who aren't really familiar with Course Guard's practical identity, what is this and how does it relate to your account of grief? Because that's sort of one of the most, if not the most fundamental point that you make in the book. Uh, well, thanks for that question. I do think it's probably one of the central premises or pillars of uh, my research in this area. So I think one question we want to answer about grief is what kind of relationship do you need to have with someone else in order for you to grieve their deaths or in order for it to sort of make sense for you to grieve their deaths? We don't grieve everyone's death. So uh, it seems like we need some sort of a relationship with that person in order for the death to uh, elicit grief in us. So what I say in the book is that uh, we grieve those in whom we've invested our practical identities. And that's a notion, as you say, that's borrowed from um, Christine Korsgaard. And the idea behind a practical identity is that it's a sort of set of commitments or set of projects uh, that kind of give you reason to uh, sort of get up in the morning and pursue the things that really matter to you. Um, and a lot of the projects and commitments that we have that are parts of our identity involve other people. So uh, you might have a business partner or a marriage or a friendship or colleagues that for you are um, central to your identity. And so when people with whom you stand in that kind of relationship die, um, the result, I say, or I claim, is, is grief. Right. So before I read your book, I was thinking for myself what I think are the most philosophically interesting aspects of grief. And the thing I kept coming back to is this notion that people express they've, in a sense, lost part of themselves. So I think it's really interesting that that's precisely what, your, what the basis of your own characterization of grief is sort of based upon. Um, so leading to our second question, what else inspired you to conduct this research into grief? Were there any other theories apart from course guards or perhaps your own personal experiences that led you to pursue this niche area? Well, um, this is actually an area of research that for me did not really emerge from previous research. It actually emerged from teaching. Um, so I had been uh, teaching the philosophy of death and dying for about 10 or 12 years uh, when I first started thinking about grief. And in the philosophy of death and dying, a lot of the traditional questions, you could describe them as egocentric, right? We ask people things like, uh, <clears throat> would it or could it be bad for you to die? Or, you know, would uh, suicide, willing your own death, be uh, irrational? Or should you fear your own death? But I started to notice that a lot of students, um, when they engage with this material, were not engaging it, uh, with it in so uh, egocentric a way. They were talking about the deaths of other people, uh, those who mattered to them, their reactions to those deaths. And so they were really talking in a way about grief. Um, and that presented an interesting pedagogical question for me. I could try to steer the students back on that egocentric track, or I could um, try to leverage right this you know apparent interest they had in thinking about other people's deaths. And uh, I opted for the latter. And when I began looking into what philosophers had said about grief, I discovered two things. One of them was that they hadn't said very much. Uh, only a few major figures in philosophy have uh, said much very extensive about grief. And I also thought that what had been said was often, well, not very uh, not very plausible. In fact, in some cases, struck me as um, dismissive and contemptuous of grief. So uh, much of my work has actually been motivated by a concern to, I guess you could say, sort of vindicate or validate grief, um, to dispel the perception that some philosophers have had that this is um, kind of a shameful or unseemly part of, of human affairs. 
So given that there is not a whole lot of philosophical material already on grief before you started looking into it, um, how did you conduct your research and were there any challenges with it across along the way? Well, one major challenge is that uh, I moved myself and my family from uh, Southern California to Scotland in the midst of a global pandemic. So there was that one. Um, but besides that small logistical kink, um, I think one of the things that is challenging about this particular topic is because there hasn't been a lot of philosophical work on grief, uh, on the one hand, you have a lot of freedom. That is to say, I didn't uh, face a lot of sort of existing theories or existing positions that you know I was compelled to react to um, or critique. Um, but on the other hand, that also meant that there weren't a lot of uh, kind of guardrails, right, you know, to build the research around. Um, I actually found that to be uh, in many ways very liberating, right? A little bit of sort of uh, philosophy in the wild, right? A philosophy where there wasn't um, a huge literature to respond to. That's one challenge. And I think another challenge is just carving out what it is that the philosopher can contribute, right, to um, our study of grief. Uh, you know, as I've said earlier, this is a topic that is, you know, very extensively discussed in psychology, anthropology, etc. And, you know, uh, you know, the poets uh, would be out of business, right, without grief. So lots of people have talked about grief. Uh, you could even say that our, our oldest texts that we still have available to us are, are texts about grief, right? The Epic of Gilgamesh is a kind of you know, grief journey or, or awakening to mortality. So a lot of it, I think, also came down to figuring out uh, how to um, situate my work, right, in relationship to, you know, the very big bodies of knowledge about grief that were already out there. So, yeah, obviously you think and very convincingly argue that grief is extremely philosophically interesting. So why do you think it is that grief was an area that was previously so overlooked in philosophy? Um, I guess I would say a couple of things. One is that um, grief is obviously a very emotional uh, event, a very emotional experience for people. But it's difficult to fit grief into the usual way that philosophers have thought about emotions. I think the way philosophers have tended to think about emotions in recent decades is that emotions are sort of like patterns of responses to very specific kind of stimuli. So, you know, the sort of standard picture would be, you know, you smell smoke and, you know, this causes you to feel fear. Uh, and that doesn't seem to be a very uh, promising picture or promising framework for thinking about something that's emotionally as rich as grief can often be. Um, the other thing I would say, and this I suppose is to be a little bit more, uh, uh, I don't know, politically antagonistic or, or to be a little bit more sociological about the discipline, but I think for a long time philosophers have had um, a hostility to uh, human experiences that they associate with uh, weakness or femininity or um, with, uh, you know, sort of overt displays of emotion. Um, and I think for that reason, um, perhaps the study of grief was thought of as, um, well, kind of beneath people. <laughs> uh, I don't agree with that, obviously, but uh, I think that's been a prominent uh, theme, right, when philosophers have uh, decided to weigh in on grief. Mm -hmm. So touching on that, you're talking about the emotions connected with grief. Something else I'm really interested in is the debate around the rationality of grief. So I think it's worth discussing a little bit about how, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think grief, you say it's not much of an it's not so much of an emotion but it's like a process of emotions so i don't think that's a necessarily unusual position but from what i understand it's like an active process rather than a passive process mm -hmm. um so how do we deal there's different variations in how we deal with the experience of loss and i think this side of the argument plays into the discussion about rationality 
So I know a brief example that you mentioned in your book is a parable where the master Hui visits the Taoist philosopher <laughs> Zhuang Zhu, who is grieving the loss of his wife and finds him like banging on a drum and singing instead of crying. And I know he, he responds to that by saying that it's a really weird behavior. I think he calls it extreme. So within this umbrella of grieving, presumably there are actions that we may think of as more rational grief responses to death and mm -hmm. others perhaps less. So what are your thoughts? Well, I think at the broadest level, um, I've come to the view that the simplest way to capture what grief is, is to say that grief is a, a very intensive form of attention, right? So going back to what we were saying earlier about practical identity and the ways in which we grieve those in whom we've invested our practical identities, I think when we're grieving, what we're in effect doing is paying attention, right, to a relationship that has been changed by the death of another person. And that would seem to imply then that when we think about the rationality of grief, what we should be thinking about is kind of the rationality of attention, right? What does it make sense for a person to pay attention to with, uh, with respect to a particular relationship? Or you know, how long should they pay attention to it? How long should this episode of attention last? Um, and I think that what, in effect, uh, people um, should want uh, uh, grief to look like is they should want it to take into account, um, to the extent that, that it can, the specific uh, significance, right, that the relationship uh, uh, with that person had, right? So we want it to be the case that, you know, if, for example, um, someone dies with whom your relationship was perhaps a little bit fraught, there might have been tension there, uh, it should make sense that your grief would include perhaps some resentment or uh, worry, uh, because, of course, I think grief is, in a way, uh, an experience that tracks, right, or encompasses the relationship that um, uh, we're grieving for or we're grieving about. So your response actually reminds me of stories that I've heard from others where, for example, they have a close family member that passes away and at the wake there are people who the person that passed maybe hardly knew and at the wake they're like acting completely distraught to the point where close family members think it's like really weird and uncomfortable. So also regarding rationality, going back to the who, when, where, etc. of grief, um, I think you talk about this somewhat in chapter five, but do you think that there are people for which, relative to ourselves and our relationship to them, it's irrational for us to grieve? Well, I think irrationality can arise in a couple of different ways. So one possibility here is that we're grieving when we don't have good reason to. So I think sometimes we can believe that a relationship we have with someone else is more substantial, more robust than in fact uh, it turns out to be, or in fact our grief suggests that it is. Um, I think grief can surprise us in this way, right? It can be the case that we might anticipate that the death of a certain person will lead us to grieve, and in fact it doesn't. And I think that that says something about the relationship we had with them that perhaps we hadn't previously realized. It's not as, uh, again, as substantial or robust. There's also the prospect on the other side, right? I think people can often be surprised uh, that they grieve for the death of a certain person that perhaps antecedent to their death, they wouldn't have expected to grieve, right? They didn't realize, right, how fundamental or essential uh, this relationship was to their lives. Um, so I think that grief can, can sort of go awry with respect to rationality uh, in, in a few different ways. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was wondering at first if it's maybe a similar case to people grieving celebrities or public figures that I suppose they don't really know, but I don't think that's quite the same because I think someone can rationally invest their p practical identity in a celebrity, but grieving in an extreme way someone who you maybe sat next to in high school for six weeks and then didn't think about again for 30 <laughs> odd years <laughs> until they'd passed away. It's not, 
I'd say I wouldn't say it's rational because it would be quite difficult to say that they had any place in your practical identity. Yeah, I always want to, you know, interrogate any, uh, you know, specific narrative that people offer where they end up saying, well, you know, you should be grieving this death or you shouldn't be grieving this death. I mean, because you could imagine a version of the story you just told, Ellie, where, you know, yeah, you sat next to that person for six weeks and, uh, you know, um, you thought that maybe you would have formed like a romantic relationship with them. And you could imagine, you know, an alternative uh, biography for yourself where you did and, you know, you had gotten married and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think it's it's not incoherent or inconceivable, right, that someone, uh, you know, who, who uh, where the relationship has, has I suppose, foundered or kind of, you know, um, uh, fell into disuse or something like that could nevertheless be a source of grief if, again, uh, someone's identity is invested in that person in the right sort of way. Mm -hmm. So I think our final question today before we wrap up is what is the impact of this research into grief and how will this work ultimately benefit society? Well, I think one of the things my work has, I hope to say, is already done is I think a lot of the positive impact is you know, sort of one-on-one, -on -one, right, in the sense that you know, many of the people who've read my work, uh, you know, say that it's um, helped them understand their own grief or understand grief in a richer way. So I think there's a way in which, uh, in doing this work, I'm I'm doing something that is for some people therapeutic, though not exactly therapeutic in a kind of medical or clinical way. Um, and when I teach this material, I think students um, do sense right that they're learning about something that. Uh, is likely, uh, you know, be something they'll need to confront in their lives. So it's helpful to, you know, have thought about it in some way. Um, I think in, other, in terms of other impacts, you know, I've had the opportunity to interact with, um, you know, a number of different professional groups, uh, physicians, psychiatrists, mental health professionals. Um, and I'm hoping that, you know, some of my signature ideas about grief, uh, we've talked about practical identity, uh, uh, the notion that grieving might uh, be a particularly valuable way to come to know oneself more richly, um, that we might see those ideas start to seep into, you know, professional practice or guidelines. And then I think a third area that's still very much on the horizon is that I'm attempting now to think through some of the uh, political implications of my own research. And I've been seeking funding actually to support a project on um, grief and mourning as human rights. Uh, so the thought there would be that, uh, if we could establish that grief and mourning are human rights and what kind of rights uh, they are, this might have uh, implications for, uh, for example, medical practice, what it is that you know clinicians owe to bereaved families, um, on social welfare policy. For, so, for example, um, you know what should we think about uh, the importance of societies providing, you know, funeral insurance for people, um, or even you know on like planning policy, right? So. You know, um, in many parts of the world, particularly urban parts of the world, you know, we're running out of places to, to bury people, right? And that may raise the interesting question of, you know, what sort of uh, importance, right, should we attach to grief and mourning? If people have a right to grief and mourning, do they have a right to, you know, bury their dead in a certain part of the of of, uh, of an environment? So I think it's already had some some uh, positive impact, and, and I'm anticipating we could have other kinds of positive impact in the coming years. Brilliant. So I just want to finish by giving you the opportunity to perhaps plug any upcoming work or events <laughs> that any listeners who enjoyed this discussion might benefit to know about. Uh, well, further work or events. So uh, actually, this very coming week, we're going to be doing an online uh, workshop uh, organized through the university here uh, on philosophy of love and loss. I'll actually be presenting a paper on uh, the duty to grieve. Uh, and another scholar from the University of Leeds, Luke Brunning, will be talking about 
grief in the context of um, romantic relationships and romantic breakups. Um, but in terms of other future um, um, contributions that I'm trying to make, I'll be speaking uh, at a conference in, uh, I believe it's going to be April of next year in uh, Lincoln here in the UK, talking about uh, grief and loneliness and the ways in which grief can perhaps be a lonely experience, but that might also be very important to the ways in which it's a valuable experience. Um, but I always relish the chance to, you know, uh, engage with people around these topics because, you know, I think it's, it's a topic where since everybody or virtually everyone has some experience with it, you know, I hope that people can learn from, from me, but of course I also hope to be able to learn from them. Well, that was a fantastic talk, and I hope that this will get more people thinking about grief from a philosophical perspective, as it does prove to have so many relevant links to other areas such as personal identity and rationality and so on. And so it certainly warrants further exploration. So I've been Ellie Palmer. This has been the first episode of the PPLS Perspective podcast featuring Michael Shelby. Thank you for listening and make sure you go pick up a copy of Grief, a Philosophical Guide. Thank you.